listening to the podcast, Advancing Sustainable Solutions, where we make sustainability research meaningful for the everyday person. This podcast is produced by the IIIEE at Lund University. In this month's episode, we talk about missions and the challenges that cities face from climate change, urbanization, and social justice to the more acute challenges arising from a global health crisis. Much like other missions to the moon to cure cancer and to eradicate smallpox, we need to set bold and radical goals to address these environmental, social, political, and societal challenges that we face. These goals are being repackaged and communicated as missions to steer policy, innovation, and research. So what are missions? How is government, business, and academia working with these missions? And how may they be relevant for cities to tackle the compounding crisis from the coronavirus to climate change? In this episode, we will address these questions as well as hear from global leaders using the missions-oriented approach. everyone, and welcome back to a new episode and a new season of the IIIE podcast called Advancing Sustainable Solutions. My name is Stephen Curtis, and I serve as co-host of this podcast. Joining me in the hosting chair this semester is Carolina Surugren. Welcome so much. Hi, Stephen. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here with you. I find podcasting such a wonderful tool for communication. It's a way to talk and to dive into topics in a way that is a bit more down to earth, I would say. Let's hope we can make it a good one. Yeah, I think we'll make this episode really good. But maybe before we dive into the topic, do you want to share just a little bit about who you are and the research that you're doing here at the Institute? Yeah, sure. I'm working on a PhD project called Smart Symbiosis. So I'm really researching the, the circular economy, collaborations in the circular economy, but really looking into industrial symbiosis. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, Carolina, we're happy to have you part of the podcast team. Um, and, you know, after 18 episodes, we are excited to start our third season here with Carolina and the new team. The podcast is produced by the International Institute for Industrial Environmental Economics at Lund University. We abbreviate our department as the IIIEE, or simply the Institute. Now, at our institute, we produce and share actionable knowledge to accelerate the transitions to climate-neutral and resource-efficient economies. We also aim to educate future leaders and change agents through our two master's programs, as well as a variety of other platforms, including the podcast, which you're listening to now, as well as our massive open online courses called MOOCs, which can be found on the Coursera platform. You can find out more information about our research and education at www.iiee.lu.se. In making this podcast, our mission is to make sustainability more accessible and engaging for you, our listeners, by connecting the podcast to research, events, and people relevant to the activities of the IIIEE. For example, this could be sharing the latest research from a new publication about the circular economy, to student initiatives to support the forthcoming UN Conference on the Human Environment taking place in Stockholm in 2022, the so-called Stockholm Plus 50. I know you're involved in this project to an extent, aren't you, Carolina? I am. I'm actually supervising a student group that's looking into this uh, as a consultancy project yeah, at the moment. That's fantastic. In this month's episode, we synthesize our recent City Futures event hosted on October 8th, 2020, we will share with you insights from the speakers and organizers of the conference to exemplify the missions-oriented approach gaining steam in academia and government. So from our studio here in Lund, Sweden, we release a new podcast episode every month, available wherever you listen to podcasts. At the end of today's episode, we'll talk more about the future of the podcast, set some goals of our own, as well as introduce the new team behind the podcast. In addition, we want to invite you to sign up for our podcast newsletter. Visit www.iiee.lu.se backslash podcast for more information.
In order to understand this missions-oriented approach, let's first talk about missions. So a mission is defined as, quote, a specific task with which a person or a group is charged, end of quote. Important in this definition is the task and the responsible actor for accomplishing such a task. Yeah, and I just want to underline this. I think that this is really important for our listeners, right? Both components are important as we move forward discussing missions. Because who is responsible for tackling these grand challenges like climate change, the coronavirus, urbanization, overconsumption, and even pollution? These are challenges of the commons, of our own making often with no clear person or entity responsible for solving these challenges. Or rather, maybe I should say this, we all have some small responsibility to solve these challenges collectively. So in conclusion, what is called the mission-oriented approach seeks to apply this mission perspective to set bold and transformative goals relevant for our societal challenges. These goals can be set by civil society, industry and governments, which steer decision-making. Often discussed together with governance and innovation, missions are being adopted by cities, nations, and even the European Union to drive policymaking, as well as by companies to motivate research and development towards a particular goal relevant to society. You know, Carolina, this actually sounds familiar to me. In previous research, I actually explored urban innovation and experimentation through public-private partnerships, what are called urban living labs. And in the last few years, we've seen this shift in experimentation, which actually places the city at the center of innovation and inquiry. If we think back to our high school science class, we can think of the city as both the field site where we go to study a particular phenomenon. It's, it's out in the field. But we can also think of the city as the laboratory, a place where we design controlled experiments to test our ideas and to learn to inform future actions. So in this way, the city becomes both the object being investigated as well as the venue for inquiry. It's really interesting. And cities have become a testing ground for innovative solutions to address our growing societal challenges. And a missions-oriented perspective can be the driving force to steer that innovation. This is super interesting. So much is happening in cities and by cities. Maybe this is because cities are the first to feel the impacts of our challenges. As such, they need to move quickly to respond to these challenges and support their citizens. But this is no easy task. Municipal budgets are stretched thin. Cities are forced to prioritize investments in public transport, public health, waste management, parks and other infrastructure, as well as social programs that fund homeless shelters, job training and placement program. Yeah, you, you get the point. And I think this is why missions can be so powerful, especially when every sector of society comes together and is involved in the governance and innovation processes in our cities. And it's important that we come together and discuss and agree upon a shared mission which guides our decision-making and investment. And this leads us to discuss the concept of mission innovation. Mission Innovation seeks to accelerate investment and innovation to address our grand environmental and social challenges. But this innovation also seeks to offer affordable alternatives to consumers, to create green jobs, as well as to provide commercial opportunities for businesses. Related to this are existing concepts such as open, social, and eco-innovation, all of which call for sharing of knowledge widely to facilitate innovation, that prioritizes social and environmental sustainability. Because these innovation approaches already exist, we should be aware that actors may be repackaging these existing concepts as something new to describe mission innovation. But in reality, these ideas and the underpinning values have always been discussed in society for decades. As such, I suggest that organizations need to be clear about what they mean by mission-oriented approach to innovation. And that they involve citizens and stakeholders in every step of the way in order to determine and work towards that shared mission. And finally, I think that it's also important to make sure that missions are tangible and achievable, right? We're so used to this word vomit and this fluffy stuff that we see in society all the time. It's important, right, that missions include both a task and a responsible actor, somebody that can be held responsible, especially when involving public funds. Now, the mission-oriented approach sounds great, right? Well, 
We should also be critical of those claiming such approaches. Since governments and businesses may promote missions as a new strategy only to proceed with status quo of economic growth and development. A form of greenwashing. In fact, despite our growing environmental and societal challenges, over the last decades, innovation has shifted from demand-driven to supply-driven. This means that where previously innovation solved needs in society, now governments, businesses and academia sometimes innovate with the hope of stimulating and creating an artificial need, especially involving technology. We must therefore be careful of relying too heavily on technological innovation and also consider innovation in the way we govern, organize, communicate, educate and learn. Yeah, there's so many different ways that we can think about innovation just beyond technology. Super good point. And I think that it's important, especially when we consider lock-in and path dependency. These are concepts that are important to overcome, especially when considering missions and governance and innovation to meaningfully address our societal challenges. What I mean by lock-in and path dependency is that the decisions that we've made previously, as well as the decisions that we make now, have and will affect our ability to tackle climate change and overcome the coronavirus. I think a good example of this was recently when Chancellor, uh, Chancellor Angela Merkel of Germany said that the decisions that citizens make today, for example, in social distancing and wearing masks in public, will impact how we're able to celebrate Christmas. Now comes the time in the podcast where we seek to connect the theme of this month's episode to recent news and events happening in society. We call this our sustainability scoop. Carolina, do you want to share this month's scoop with our listeners? Sure. We want to share with you the latest happenings from the European Research and Innovation Days, which took place September 22nd through 24th. This event is the European Commission's annual flagship research and innovation event, bringing together policymakers, researchers, entrepreneurs and the public to debate and shape the future of research and innovation in Europe and beyond. And... Missions were very much at the forefront of this event. The virtual event began with the handover of the EU missions final report, which proposes five missions. These include conquering cancer, restoring oceans and waters, caring for soil, creating climate neutral cities, and preparing Europe for climate disruptions. I mean, these are some ambitious missions that the EU is proposing here. Uh, what exactly happens next now that the, the EU missions report has been submitted to the Commission? As you said, at the event, these missions were proposed to the EU Commission. And later this year, the Commission will announce the final selected missions. The missions will launch in 2021 as part of Horizon Europe, the next EU innovation and research program. Ideally, these missions will then steer policy and investment in projects, people, partnerships to tackle these challenges. I should also add that the European Union is stressing the need for citizen involvement in designing and executing these missions. So there will be many pathways to be involved in your local communities and more broadly. Yeah, thanks, Carolina, for sharing this month's sustainability scoop. And if you want to learn more about the EU's progress with missions and missions more generally, make sure you're subscribed to our newsletter. Each month, we send out a reminder email announcing new episodes, which include show notes, access to research output, as well as additional info from our monthly sustainability scoop. You can sign up on our website at www.iiee.lu.se backslash podcast. On October 8th, 2020, the IIIE hosted the City Futures Summit, which explored missions for sustainable urban transformation. The aim of this event was to connect people, places, and projects around the world to advance sustainable solutions by inviting people from academia, governments, business, and society. Typically, the summit would take place here at the Institute at Lund University. However, due to the ongoing pandemic, the summit was reworked entirely into a virtual online event, which allowed for a far greater number of participants than anything that we've ever been able to host here on site. The summit had people joining from cities all over the world, cities like Copenhagen, Stockholm, Helsinki, uh, as well as Paris, Istanbul, Nairobi, Beijing, Jakarta, and Ottawa, as well as many, many other cities from around the world. 
The summit hosted three keynote speakers, Kathy Oak, Senior Advisor for the Global Covenant of Mayors for Climate and Energy, Philip Naslund, Strategic Development Officer at the City of Umeå, and Jennifer Lennart, Global Lead at WWF Sustainable Cities. The summit also hosted two more guest speakers for the roundtable discussions, Sylvia Schwag-Säger, Deputy Vice-Chancellor at Lund University, and Helena Bjarnegård, National Architect of Sweden. Now let's hear from some of the speakers about how they define a missions-oriented approach to sustainable urban transformations. Putting aside what is a, a, a mission-led approach for cities mean, like when I think about a mission, <laughs> you know, you think about these huge efforts that bring together people from diverse backgrounds, you know, with a common goal or a common objective. Um, and, and often it's something that might be might seem unattainable, but it is actually feasible and working together, you know, these things are possible and, you know, you know, in your promotional material and we've seen it used a lot, you know, the moonshot reference is, is actually really apt because it's like we've got to we've got to really reach for the moon if we want to transform the cities in the way that we, we know we need to. And so I really think that, you know, that mission led approach is a really it's, you know, it is exactly what we need to do to bring together a whole lot of people that have got a, a, a common goal, but might be looking at it from a different perspective or multiple different perspectives, um, because it's really the only way that we're going to do it. So, so I thought about what, what you said, you know, when it comes to missions, uh, it's about adventure. Uh, it's about calculated planning. It's about circular thinking and sharing economy in a, a very real sense. So how can we learn? And I know NASA has actually been a little bit involved in some of these things when it comes to sustainable cities, because how can we think in a closed system, not pulling all of our resources from nature and throwing all our waste into the atmosphere or in, into the oceans, but really thinking circular. So to me, it was really, really an exciting question. Uh, and then maybe my final point there would be it's about a story, a common story. You know, we need a common story. The threats are real. The climate crisis is out of control. Biodiversity loss is almost even more threatening. We need a common story of where we can go collectively as humanity, each with our own individual contribution from our own city perspective, from our rural perspectives as well. We need them involved. Uh, but we need to know where do we want to go together. So I think that to me is what uh, what triggered my thoughts when you said, what is our mission? Yeah, no, they're not new in a way. I think the new thing about missions is is what one of the things, the aha moments for me from this uh, discussion, for example, is how well I said, like I said, I think they fit with urban development and with cities. Um, they've more been applied in a national context. Obviously, that's the big difference. And then also they've been applied very much focusing on developing a technology or as somebody said, putting a man on the moon. So they haven't really been applied as much to this kind of holistic development agenda that we're now all striving for, which is combining different aspects of sustain sustainability. That I think is relatively new to the missions. Also it's focus in, in, in at the city level, but otherwise they're not new. And, and um, I would just agree with everybody. They're a really um, powerful instrument when implemented wisely. One thing that I've been thinking about is combining short-term perspective and long-term perspective. Uh, a city plan um, takes two, three years to develop a block, maybe 10 years. Uh, the houses that we build right now, they're supposed to stand there for at least 100 years. And the city structure that we make, 1,000 years. And to combine uh, the short-term thinking with the long-term thinking and all the processes uh, for governance and so on. That's a very, very tricky part. But I think that the mission tool is a very good tool to, to work with. And I see that it's a re it really is a solution tool. And I like that a lot. Maybe reflects all around the world that we have a lot of technical solutions that can really be implemented to reduce these uh, climate emissions. Or, uh, but uh, this mission is on the, on the behavior scale and the social uh, side of it, social uh, sustainability. It has to be included into the environmental and economic goals for, for the cities. And that is what pops into my mind that uh, it's not more about the technical side, it's the, the other uh, parameters that has to be included and there the citizens of course is uh, at the key center so this co-creation that we heard about earlier is uh, indeed something that we we really are facing and uh, and needing
This was Kathy Oak, Jennifer Lennart, Sylvia Schwagserger, Helena Bjarnegård and Philip Neslud on missions-oriented approach. Uh, Carolina, what was your takeaway from the summit? Mm, actually, Philip Neslund touched upon it in his definition. Um, a lot of emphasis during the summit was put on co-creation and the importance of including the citizens. Um, let's hear from some of the speakers about the role of inclusion. I guess that the, the the mission-led approach is relatively new, right? So it's I mean it's 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 um, we've all been trying for many years to um, scale up at at rapid pace, um, and and this is a different way of thinking about bringing everyone together. And I think one of the one of the aspects of this mission-led approach has been quite inspirational and in in the transformation that we're trying to do in bringing people together, uh, but. You know the the actors that are really critical to this us is citizens. And what I'm really liking about what I'm seeing how different jurisdictions are talking about mission-led approach to cities is really putting citizens at the focus. Even though clearly we're dependent on policymakers and and leaders at all levels of government and in industry and the private sector to make good decisions and to and to to lead um, when it comes to policy. What I'm really inspired by is that. City, the citizen-centered approach that I'm seeing. And, and that is crucial to these things to being a, a success because you need engagement, you need buy-in. If you want to introduce a particular technology or a, a different way to finance um, um, in the city, you need the citizens to have the buy-in and engagement and, and otherwise it's not gonna work. Here we are kind of this dilemma that we have not the power in ourselves, the organization, we have to give away a bit of control and try to get other ones involved in the mission of, of this uh, climate neutral goals or, or a sustainable social city. Uh, and that's really that kind of unite them, uh, others to participate. So I think that is for me the new thing that we are kind of this, we are putting up this vision and, and the, the golden story, and then we are give, giving it to the other one to contribute with their own ideas and input. And we don't really know the road to that, uh, to the end that will be a new beginning, I would say. So yeah, that is new for me anyway, that uh, we are kind of bringing more actors and stakeholders and citizens in the, in the early phase when we are kind of developing the mission. I think I will go back to the kind of Mars mission approach. It's an all hands on deck. I mean, everybody has a part to play. If you think of the mission control room, when there's a crisis that happens and we are very much in a climate and a biodiversity crisis, everyone has a part to play. Uh, whether it's the mayor, whether it's the researcher, whether it's the citizen on the street, uh, it's connecting those ideas. I think until now we've done a lot of pilots, we've seen incremental changes and those have been very good and very inspirational to show us a, a path of where we need to go, but we really need to all connect. And uh, here we heard from Kathy Oak, Philip Neslund and J Jennifer Lenhart. What about you, Stephen? What was your key takeaways from the summit? Uh, yeah, you know, I have to say I was I was inspired by the summit and especially the examples that many of the speakers conveyed um, during their their remarks. I thought it was important to understand how missions are achieved on a city level. Let's hear from Jennifer Lenhart and Philip Neslund. I would say Malmo, um, but not only. I'm going to I'm going to challenge a little bit your question. I'm going to say Malmo, uh, Rotterdam and Medellin. And these are three cities that have had struggle, uh, whether it's an economic collapse, social violence, um, uh, war torn and having to rebuild. But these are cities that said, you know, rolled up their sleeves and said, how can we create a new story, a new vision of where we want to go? And we're not going to do that with one sector approach. We're going to do it holistically. We're going to bring people on board early on uh, whether it's citizens or architects or different um, sectoral strategies, we're going to bring everyone to the table and think, how can we envision our city? So Malmö has become, you know, world famous now with its uh, Western Harbor, 100% renewable energy district, beautiful design, lots of green space. Uh, Rotterdam, you know, was hugely impacted by World War II, uh, had a clean slate in many senses, but had to redefine how, how, how it designs itself. So it's, it's a constantly rethinking, it's become a world leader when it comes to climate adaptation and water management. It's also right on the coast and we know all the challenges of uh, the climate crisis when it comes to a city like Rotterdam and a city like, uh, like Medellin that was many years uh, plagued by 
challenges with, with, with violence, but also just uh, poverty as well, but has brought everyone together from the mayor's office to local NGOs to think, how can we de redesign our city? And they put some of the most spectacular new buildings up in the poorest communities, and they connected a gondola, uh, a teleferico, to, to connect around to that city to say that these most beautiful places should be accessible to everyone in our city, not for the rich, not for the poor, but for everyone. I think it comes back to the people-centric approach that these three cities had. We need this kind of strong test bed activities and uh, here in Sweden we have launched several of those and I think uh, this is something that really is uh, to be emphasized. We need to put in those kind of methods and mandate and, and test beds for the citizens and all the local actors and also bring in uh, other stakeholders to the city to test and try their ideas. Like an example, uh, two years ago now, we did the first one, uh, one of the first um, CO2 emission calculation from the consumption from each citizens in Umeå. And we divided the results up to different city districts and then provided it back to the society or, or to the citizens. So it's an open data platform. You can all see it. You can visit it and create solutions based on those, uh, uh, the data we collected. And I think that is something we really need to do. We have to provide open data platforms so the co-creation can be uh, really scaled from the citizens and also by others. So it's not just someone living in Umeå right now that can visit those uh, data points. All around the world can do it and find solutions that can support our city mission. As much as the summit was inspiring, it also left room for many questions. We'd like to leave you, our listeners, with some of them. For example, what does it mean to include citizens? Is it feasible to include everyone or even desirable? If you have any interesting reflections from the content presented at the summit or the questions just posed, feel free to get in touch with us on social media. Our mission with this episode is to share the missions-oriented perspective with you, as well as to share and highlight some of the outputs from the City Futures event hosted at the IIIEE in October 2020. Now, the City Futures event focused on what is the mission-oriented approach. It also conveyed the importance of involving stakeholders and presented tangible examples of how cities around the world are adopting this mission-oriented approach. Now, we wanted to invite some of the people that were instrumental in pulling off the summit to share some of their experiences as well as convey some of their key takeaways from the event. Catalina, who do we have joining us in today's podcast episode? Today we have Kes McCormick, who's a senior lecturer here at the Institute, and Lee Strandberg, our communication manager. Yeah, and so we'll ask them some questions about the event as well as their takeaways on um, uh, the, the mission's approach, right? Definitely. Carolina, I know that you and I both joined the event online. What did you think of the two-hour online event? Well, thanks, Stephen, for asking. I thought it was really valuable. It brought me some new perspectives on this missions approach. It was quite new to me, to be honest. And yeah, there were many people from around the world who joined um, who joined in. And yeah, it, it really gave a lot. Yeah, one thing that I took away from the conference, uh, the online conference, I should say, is that there are so many different ways that we can organize online events. And it was really cool to see uh, Kes, who you'll hear from in just a moment, serve as host and moderator, really asking those that participated questions as opposed to any prepared remarks by any one presenter. And it made it feel that much more engaging and compelling as an audience member to just listen passively through Zoom. So it's really cool to see how, uh, how we can leverage technology in that way. So with that, why don't we um, jump over to our interviews with Kess and Lee. Uh, Kess, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, fantastic to be back. I love this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. So is it too bold to call, to call you the host of the City Futures Summit? I'm certainly one of the, the, the main organizers, but part of a great team of people that pulled it all together. I mean, these kind of events are only possible when you're working with, you know, great teams. And this was a fantastic team effort. Yeah. And this isn't the first time that the Institute has hosted the City Future Summit, is it? 
No, back in 2018, which feels like a long time ago, we had a physical event here at the Institute where we had about 150 people attend a summit conference, um, a typical kind of event you might expect, uh, physical meetings and so on. And it was, it was a fantastic creative process. But from that point on, we've been through a, in 2019 with the Sharing Cities Summit. And that was focused in on the sharing economy in cities and brought together more of a global audience. Uh, People travelled from all over the world. um, And it was also fantastic and a typical kind of physical event, lots of energy and so on. But this year in 2020, we had an online event for the first time and that was a a whole new experience. Yeah, I wonder why. Yeah, the (laughs) pandemic kind of uh, created that scenario and we're now seeing many online events. Yeah, we're we're certainly having to adopt and adapt the way... We're certainly having to adapt the way that we work here in academia and and in many sectors of society. How specifically did you have to uh, change the way that you'd organize the City Futures Summit in an online venue? Yeah, I mean, there is a very big difference between an online event and a physical event. Um, the obvious being that you can, you know, bring in huge audiences from all over the world, which is just, uh, yeah, it's pretty fantastic, really. And it is uh, extraordinary that you can... uh, run such an event in real time with people just tuning in from wherever they are. So, I mean, that's a huge advantage. Um, the, the downside, of course, is you've, you've got to, well, it's not really a downside, actually. It's really a challenge. You've got to make sure that these events are really captivating, um, really interactive, but in different ways uh, when you think about interaction, and that you just keep audiences kind of glued and sitting there listening. I mean, you've got to really think about it from the audience perspective, yeah. which is probably not a drawback at all. It's actually just a fantastic challenge to try to, to grab hold of. Yeah, and so something certainly you did uh, very well in this year's summit. Uh, I know that uh, listeners can already watch the summit in full uh, at the cityfutures.se website if you're interested. It's available for you. But I'm, I'm wondering, Cass, how did you... Um, seek to engage the audience differently in an online venue? Yeah, I think the first decision we made was uh, no PowerPoints. Um, So our keynote speakers were not going to do presentations. Instead, we wanted to do an interview format, a little bit like a talk show. Um, So we tested that out and we thought that that worked really well. It created more of a dynamic between the speaker and the moderator. Um, We then uh, experimented with Menti, one of these uh, online uh, gadgets where you can kind of interact with audiences through their mobile phones and so on. And it's really fascinating with Menti. People seem to to really enjoy the idea that you're kind of reaching out to them and asking them questions and then you can see the answers and so on popping up on the screen. And then, of course, we had a Q&A where people could write in questions from around the world and we had uh, kind of a host moderator kind of going through those and selecting those questions to then pose to the the speakers. So kind of a variety of different ways of of interacting in the webinar. Yeah. And so obviously the City Future Summit this year dealt with missions, the theme of this month's episode. Um, How did you arrive at missions as this this theme that we wanted to uh, convey in the summit this year? Yeah, missions um, in a European context have now taken kind of centre stage or mission-oriented innovation. Um, it's come from uh, a woman called Mariana Mazakutu, who who's kind of been uh, employed or involved by the European Commission to think about research and innovation and how we might do it differently. And so she's kind of brought this concept of missions um, to this research and innovation field and how we might reshape how we work with this. Um, and then at a city level, one of the key missions in Europe is to design or implement or create 100 climate neutral cities in Europe using the missions approach. It just for listeners, I'm wondering how do you see, like, what is a mission to you? Yeah, so we had this summit to, to discuss what is a mission. And, <laughs> and we, were, we were fascinated to ask people, you know, what does a mission mean to them? How do they understand this concept? Because it is being defined, you know, by the European Commission, but it's also understood by different people around the world in different ways. I mean, I think a mission or the perhaps the most famous mission is the mission to the moon, you know, taking people from planet Earth and getting them to the moon and back alive, which is an extraordinary technological mission. Um, and we can learn a lot from that kind of mission. But we also have to recognise that the mission to the moon is very different as opposed to a mission to respond to climate change. And climate change is like a wicked problem which involves many different aspects. So there are elements of missions which we can use to help us along the road towards climate neutral cities and other elements where we need to look elsewhere. Yeah. What might be some issues or challenges for people new to missions to consider in adopting it in their organisations or in their cities? Yeah, I think... The most fascinating thing, I think, with missions and climate neutral cities is it demands the organisations, municipalities and urban actors 
to rethink how they are working and how the structures that they're working within are shaping the impacts that they're making. So it's forcing them to rethink structures, rethink organizational structures and relationships. Yeah, and, and that's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> this is tough. I mean, this is really tough. So yeah. it's, it's working with kind of mindsets about yeah. how the world is and how we can change it and working with boundaries um, and how we kind of break boundaries. So this is really tough stuff. But I think it's fair to say that we need this kind of thinking and work if we want to really achieve climate neutral cities. Yeah, yeah. So moving forward, how do you think that this concept of missions, uh, both in innovation and in governance, how does it continue to evolve to address these challenges? Yeah, I think the first thing is there's there's a lot of excitement around missions and a lot of funding and financing flowing into it. And that's, of course, fantastic for those people working on climate neutral cities. Um, the second thing that's happening now is, of course, there's now critique appearing, like how well commissions actually be used in a city perspective. And I think that's really relevant to, uh, yeah, to engage with and, and to think about carefully, like when commissions be best used, when they can't be best used, what are some of the drawbacks, what are some of the benefits and so on. Um, and I think that people in city governments are now kind of grappling a little bit with that. Um, but for me, what it really opens up is a space to think about, you know, radical ambitions and kind of, let's say, radical change. Mm. And that we have got a group of actors and organisations who are pretty willing to try to, to, try to get on board. Mm. So you, in countries like Sweden, you don't have a lot of pushback. Instead, you have a lot of organisations trying to do these things. It doesn't mean it's easy. It's very, very hard but you do create a space for this kind of creative and critical discussion. Yeah, and I think that was one of the things that I took away from the summit ultimately is that there are people that are engaging with this meaningfully mm. and critically to try and move us forward in a path to address our urban sustainability challenges. Were there any key outputs from the conference? You know, the conference was a one-day event. We did record it online. You can go back and watch it, but were there any outputs that our listeners can go and, and seek out? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, one of the main outputs is, of course, recording it, and then we're going to cut it up into shorter films. I mean, another output was this call for action, kind of a short agenda, which we put together, where we tried to kind of collect our thoughts from, from the event and kind of kind of uh, high-level policy recommendations, you might say. I think another key output will be this podcast. <laughs> I mean, we're really, you know, it's fantastic to be able to produce these kind of things based on the summit. Um Another outcome from these kind of events is they absolutely are one-off, but there was a build-up to the summit, and then there's many things that will kind of flow out from it afterwards. I mean, including kind of working with publications, working with new projects, um, working with massive open online courses and so on. So we we hope to kind of, you know, this is not a once-off conversation. These are once-off event, but we hope to be, you know, working that into many other activities over, to, over time, essentially. Yeah, and I'll just mention for our podcast listeners, we will send out that call to action to everybody on the podcast newsletter. So if you're subscribed to the newsletter, you can look for that call to action coming to you. Uh, and no doubt looking for opportunities to continue to collaborate with people and partners uh, across Europe and the world uh, dealing with missions uh, missions oriented innovation. Uh, with that, Kess, I just want to thank you so much for stopping by the podcast today. Fantastic to be here. So we're really happy and pleased to welcome Lee Strandberg with us today, communications manager here at the Institute. Thank you. Lee, you have been working with the Institute as a communications manager for a couple of months now. You come from the business sector, having been a global marketing communications manager for years. What has that transition been like? I mean, how different is it to work in academia? Yes, I have been working with the both internal and external communication and mainly marketing communications at global level at a large multinational company for many years. It has been very international with colleagues from all over the world, and that is the case here as well, and I love that. And now after two months, I'm starting to have a pretty good view of my tasks here, the organization, and also the differences. Of course, it's uh, quite different in the academia compared to the corporate world. And the biggest difference to me is that we don't sell anything. We don't have any real products or services. But what we produce or deliver is research and education. So there is no balance scorecards, no customers, and no focus on market shares. What we want to do from a communication perspective is to reach out with our research and to get applicants for our master's program and continue to be a reputable institute. Wow, that must be such an interesting change. I would assume it brings about a different sense or purpose for you, and I guess the deliverables just must be quite different. Absolutely, yeah. 
So pivoting back to the summit now, um, in your role as a communications manager, why would you say that these types of events are important? First of all, I think it's great that a small institute from Sweden could get close to 3,000 people from the entire world registered. Suddenly we had participants in I don't know how many different countries. Instead of having the event here at the institute as last year with a number limited number of participants. It's really amazing. I was also part of the last year's event and I think th it was definitely a big difference in that sense. Yeah, it's great. And this year, the City Future Summit consisted of two different parts, a webinar with keynote speakers and collab sessions where the participants were divided into smaller groups and could interact with each other. The learnings from the webinar and the collabs have been written down in a document that we have shared at the cityfutures.se and in our social media channels. When it comes to science communication, we have different levels of interaction. It's information, which is one-way communication, it's dialogue and it's co-creation. So in the summit, I think we had both information in the first part and dialogue and to some extent co-creation in the second part. Finally, events is one way to reach out with the research and I think it's a great way both to inform but also to engage and interact. We have a, a responsibility to share our research and it's one of our tasks as a university to interact with the surrounding community and to work to ensure that research come to good use. The research should influence the public debate, political decisions, the corporate world and the society as such. Thank you. I really like this part about information, dialogue and co-creation. So if we stay on that topic but zoom out a little bit, why is it so essential to communicate research and connect with and reach out to a broader audience? This is connected to your last question and what I just talked about. It's our responsibility to share our research. The university has three responsibility areas. The two main ones are research and education. And then we have the third one that is called public outreach or science communication. Science communication means communication about research with others and researchers of the academic world. It is the ability to explain science and scientific research to people with a non-scientific background. And I would say that science communication is more important than ever, but scientists are also busier than ever. Not only do they have their own scientific work to maintain, they also have teaching, grant applications, supervising, etc. So this is where I come in to help reach out with the research. And media is in most cases very happy to provide space for researchers since they are experts in their area. And in general, research doesn't have any commercial motives or forces behind. If we are not in the debate, the society will lose important knowledge and perspectives. So you could almost say that research, education and outreach are the three main missions of academia then. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Okay, finally, since we have your expertise with us today and we're living in such special times, it would be great to hear your opinion on how you see trends in communication evolving in a post-COVID world. You mentioned some of them, maybe the ability to gather a broader audience from around the world, collaborate and co-create, but what else? Definitely think that online events are here to stay. It has been a shift now during the pandemic and I don't think that we will ever go back to having only physical events. So what I think we will see is more online events, but also hybrid events, which is a combination of online and physical events. In a hybrid event, you have the choice if you want to be at the actual venue or if you want to participate online. It opens up so many possibilities. You can take part in events and in webinars all over the world and the distance is no more limitation. It doesn't matter where you are located. It's so easy to live stream. So from now on, I think that it will be more or less something mandatory that you share with the people that can't join physically. I can already see this in my own channels that there are suddenly so many invitations to free webinars and online events, and I don't have to transport myself to participate in a breakfast meeting somewhere, but I can join from my computer from home. What you lose is, of course, the networking possibilities. You don't stand there with your coffee cup anymore and start chit-chatting with the person next to you. If you participate in an online webinar, you are mute and much more anonymous. But I think we will find ways as we go along. 
It's an interesting time we're living in, and it will be interesting to see how much we have actually changed after the pandemic in our way of working, traveling, and socializing. Thank you so much, Lee, for sharing those perspectives. It's definitely something that we'll take with us um, for this podcast. Lee serves as our new communication manager at the IIIE and oversees the podcast team. And for returning listeners, you may be wondering what happened to my old co-host, Sophie Sandin. I'm happy to share with you that Sophie is finalizing her PhD and looking towards other opportunities. I'm super proud of her and will miss her as co-host and co-conspirator as we push this podcast and so many other things at our department. On behalf of the Institute, we wish Sophie well with her future endeavors. And taking over for Sophie, we have Carolina. You've done so great this episode, and we're so happy to have you uh, sitting in the co-host chair now. Thanks, Stephen. So I thought that maybe now would be a good time for us to just uh, introduce or reintroduce ourselves uh, to the listeners. What do you say? Absolutely. You want to go first? <laughs> sure, I can do that. Uh, so as you know, my name is Stephen Curtis. I'm now approaching uh, over four years in my PhD uh, here at the Institute. My research is really focusing on business model innovation, particularly understanding sustainable business models uh, and those business models that can reduce the overall consumption and production in society. Uh, the business models that I'm focusing on are those within the sharing economy and being very critical of what business models actually have the potential to deliver on improved sustainability performance. Yeah, I guess that's all that I want to say about to the work that I'm doing here at the Institute. What about you, Carolina? Yeah, I'm in my third year now working as a PhD student here at the IIIE. I study collaborations and organizations in the circular economy, but especially so in so-called um, industrial symbiosis or industrial urban symbiosis. I'm really interested in smart resource flows between multiple and different actors. Prior to my PhD, I spent about 10 years in Switzerland, where I worked with different corporate sustainability questions. So topics ranging from social sustainability to food systems and the sustainable development goals. Carolina, thanks so much for introducing yourself to our audience. And we have somebody else we get to introduce to the audience as well. For the first time on the podcast, we now have a production assistant. And we're so grateful to welcome Franz Liebertsen. Uh, to share a little bit about his behind-the-scenes work on the podcast. Franz. Hi, everyone. My name is Franz, and I'm a first-year PhD student here at the Institute. My work focuses mainly on um, sustainable urban transformation in general and on sustainable energy systems in particular. I will mainly uh, be operating in the background on the podcast but uh, who knows, uh, maybe I will host an episode in the future. So if you want to learn more about the podcast and the people behind the podcast, you can visit our podcast website at www.iiwe.lu.se backslash podcast. Our mission for the coming year is to deliver a new podcast episode every month, produce high quality episodes and grow our listener base. If you want to help us achieve these goals, we appreciate your feedback. You can leave a review on your favorite podcasting platform or get in touch with us directly on social media or send an email to podcast at triple And most importantly, you can share the podcast in your network. We're only able to continue to create these episodes because of your support. Thank you so much. Now is the time in the episode where we reflect personally on today's theme and summarize our key takeaways. Stephen, do you want to start us off? Yeah, I can start us off. Uh, you know, I tend to be a fairly critical person in general, but also in particular about mission-oriented approaches. I see the value in creating alternative narratives to counter existing paradigms, uh, especially those that perpetuate inequalities and fail to address climate change. Missions promise to set ambitious goals to address pressing challenges. But I think it's also important that we are careful when relying on innovation as the solution to sustainability. We pass the responsibility to others to act and over-rely on technological fixes. I think we all have a responsibility, and that includes governments and businesses, to set tangible and achievable missions which move beyond technology to consider innovation 
in how we govern, organize, communicate, educate, as well as involve citizens in how we design and think about our cities. And, you know, if someone proposes a stupid mission which doesn't involve citizens or stakeholders, we have the responsibility to respectfully call them out. Carolina, what were your takeaways from today's episode? Well, first, I, I really agree with much of what you're saying. It's really interesting to hear your thoughts and views on this. Secondly, I think many of my takeaways are related to the podcast producing in itself. Since this is my first time, I think I learned a lot about producing and making a podcast. It's not as easy as it seems, is it? <laughs> it's really much more to prepare than one may think. And I'm really happy to have you, Stephen, guiding the way. Thanks for that. About the content, I think I mentioned that before the event, um, the whole concept of missions was quite new to me. So I like learning new things, and that's been great to dive into. Otherwise, I also really enjoyed the conversation I had with Lee, our communication manager. I liked how she spoke of information, dialogue, and co-creation. And I think that's something that I can keep in mind and use for my future communication outlets. I generally really appreciate when things are quite applicable and hands-on. So that was a good one for me. Yeah, and I think we certainly need that uh, very tangible and real information, especially in these uncertain times. I don't know about you, uh, but I'm certainly struggling uh, trying to understand how to navigate these, these challenging times, whether it's the election in the United States, my home country, the global health crisis that we're all seemingly trying to survive uh, in more ways than one, as well as continued inaction on climate change as, and, and centuries-long structures that promote racism and colonialism. Uh, seems like 2020 in so many ways just keeps piling on. But these challenges are another example of path dependency, how our previous decisions and paradigms perpetuate unhealthy and exploitative conditions throughout our economies and societies. Now, I'm certainly trying to find my own voice, as is the podcast, and my hope is that you also find your voice to think critically and examine what is happening in the world and make informed decisions about how to proceed. And my final hope is that you stay healthy and as happy as possible. Certainly something to think about. So with that, I think it's time that we close this episode. We want to thank Kes McCormick and Lee Strandberg for joining this month's episode. Also, a big thanks to the IIEE and our director, Per Mikvits, who values the podcast and provides us the opportunity to keep making episodes. And of course, thanks to our production assistant, Franz Liebetson, for editing this episode and making us sound so smart. Finally, thanks to the speakers and participants of the City Futures Summit. If you want to learn more about the summit, you can visit the summit website at www.cityfutures.se. There, you can rewatch the summit in its entirety, as well as read the call to action, which outlines priority actions for designing and operationalizing missions for sustainable and climate-neutral cities. And we will be back next month with an all-new episode. Until then, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.